Hello. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Very quickly. <laughs> it's me. I'm back. Nothing new to report. Uh, but what I do have to report is a podcast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird if I had something else? No, it's a podcast that you signed up for. And here you are again. <clears throat> Guys, today, Elizabeth Hirsch Tauber. I call her Liz sometimes. Sometimes I call her Elizabeth. I, I don't know. Her Instagram says Liz. So, you know, we'll figure it out. Her Instagram, uh, by the way, is now that we're talking about it, at Liz the Avenger. Like it sounds. Honestly, great name. Great uh, handle, as the kids say. Do the kids say that? Okay, we're off track. Um, Liz and I, which you will find very quickly because we start with it, uh, met in a really fun way. I don't know why I'm previewing that. <laughs> I get to it real quick. Uh, but it's just worth noting that it's fun. Uh, what else? She made a movie. I don't know exactly where they are in terms of finishing it, but it has an Instagram that you can find out updates for said film at 12 months movie, the number 12 and then months movie. Um, we talk a lot about that and I'm excited for her there. So yeah, check out uh, all your, all your 12 months movie needs. <laughs> That's what I always say. The needs part. I don't know what that means. What needs do you have? I guess to figure out when it's playing and where, uh, I would presume. And I will put a link to the trailer in the episode description. Haven't done that before. Going to do it now. There are no rules, you know? Uh, but other than that, this is a really great one. Uh, I'm not lying ever. I never lie about that. It's really great. Enjoy Elizabeth first hour. We have to start with how we know each other because it's oh, yeah. weird. <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> it's like, I was... It's random. It's so... So, uh, the first time we met was in uh, a, a summer camp in uh, South Carolina? North Carolina? Yes. North, North Carolina, Carolina. That's right. North Carolina. <laughs> um, we, I, we both nannied for the same wonderful little man. Yes. <laughs> Daniel. Um, and, and I... Did you, when did you meet that family? I like the year, I have no idea. I, mm. I mean, uh, God, I want to say like 2012, maybe. Yeah, that sounds or about right. 2011, maybe. Cause, uh, yeah, maybe the year before they moved. They, the, the short story is like, I, I was ma being a Manny for them in North Carolina, and then they right. moved to Atlanta. They moved to Atlanta where you were. Mm -hmm. How did you find? I mean, how did, how did you? They found me. I think through care.com. Oh, I thought care. it was like a family com friend. For or all your child care needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're going to give us, they're going to give you some funding now. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It'd be a really weird sponsorship for them. 
Yeah. Just in case your parents die, if you can use care.com. But if, if your parents aren't dead, tell them to use care.com to find you child care care. Yeah. So, um, um, so you, yeah, you nannied for them for a while and then, um, yeah, and we then, met. Yeah. I, they I asked if, so the dad, he, he was the director of a summer camp in North Carolina. And so they, the mom and Daniel were going to go, uh, stay at the camp for the summer and they wanted me to come in and nanny him while he was there. You know, because he was too little to really like, yeah, couldn't really be in a cabin and like with because he's only he was only four. He's so cute. Oh back my then. gosh, the glasses. I know. I showed some. I saw. I showed someone a picture of him the other day, and that's that's always the first thing they say. They're like the glasses. I know. So cute. When was the last time you've seen him? I haven't seen D for like. Uh, I need to call them because I'm back in Atlanta now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen him since he was. Five. Oh wow! Yeah, I saw them. Uh, I want to say like a year and a half ago or something when they came to LA. Wow, it was so cool to see Daniel just like talking about like Fortnite and shit. Oh my god, <laughs> he's How? just like a little kid, you I know? know? Like, is he he's nine? Ten, I think. 10? Yeah, wow. it's pretty crazy, but still yeah. has the same type of glasses. So oh, don't yeah. worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw a picture of him. And I was like, that's exactly how I would think he would look at this age. Yeah. Like, he kind of looks the same, but yeah, just know, a little, older. little taller. Stretched out, yeah, yeah, stretched out. <laughs> he, uh, so, so we met briefly then when it was like we had like a little handover yeah. situation. And then I didn't see you for a few years or however yeah. long it was. Yeah. And then we just showed up at, we just saw you at UCB. Just randomly. Yeah. That was so crazy. And I wasn't even in class. We, I saw you in the cafe. Yeah. And I think you recognized me or something. I think what it was is Pam, the, the mom, oh, had right, told right, me right. that you were taking a UCB class or something. And I was like, oh, no way. Like, I'll look out for her. So I had it in my head. I, I think if she hadn't said that, I wouldn't have put it together. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> when you came to the camp and, you know, uh, you were you were kind of just hanging out with him. Like, I think you, you took care of him for a few days when I was away. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I was with him. Yeah, I was with him that whole summer. Oh, little D. I know. I miss him so much. I keep thinking back. He's such a cutie. Yeah. Um, and then we had a class together. Yes. We did musical improv together. Yes. Was that our first class together or did we do like a 301 together? I think we did one and two together. Like musical improv one and okay. two Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes... Yes. You're right. You're right. And that was really fun. I love musical improv so much now. Like... Yeah. I love it more than any. It's my favorite. Like, do you still do it? No, I haven't done it for a while. But I'm I'm hoping to start up. You know, either find a class or start a team in Atlanta. Yeah, there's there's some there's kind of an improv scene there, right? Yeah. Well, I just started classes at Dad's Garage. Uh, right. And it's it's great so far. I had kind of had to start over, not completely. So I I started at the level two. Yeah. Um, Did you tell everybody like I took UCB class? No, I didn't want to like <laughs> say that, but like the instructor did ask like the first class, and he and like everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, I took level one, I took level one, and then like a, a couple people were like, oh yeah, I did some at this place, and then he got to me, he's like, and do you have any previous improv experience? And I was like, yeah, I I, I trained at UCB in Los Angeles, and he was like, okay, like, <laughs> and I was like, yes. 
pretty great. Um, I, you know, was on an indie team for a while. And, and then I was like, and I did musical improv. I love musical improv. That's my favorite. Like, but yeah, he, there was like during our, in our first class, like we were playing, um, I can't even remember the name of it. It's like a string of pearls. It's like a storytelling game. Oh, okay. And like, we all played it and we did it. And then after when he was giving notes, he was like, and Elizabeth, you jumped right in there. And you you, you just, I was hoping someone was going to do that part and you fucking did it. But I'm not surprised, UCB. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of this class is going to hate me. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, but la the, de fucking die. at the same time, I was like, thank you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, it's not it, UCB. It's well, just Well, it feels me. good to know that like your training actually worked. So yeah, like I was, I was like afraid because they actually have a totally different style there. They are Johnstone based, and what is I, that? I don't know. <laughs> I need to look it up. There's no book, so okay. I mean, maybe there is a book. I shouldn't say that. I've actually, I've, I've looked. There is a book, but they don't like require it at the school. Uh-huh. So I need to go and like read more about it. So far, it seems like they're just more narrative based. It's more like storytelling narrative based, whereas. Everyone knows that UCB is game based. Yes. Don't um, you dare tell a story. <laughs> no, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare narrate anything. Kill you. I've always that was always one thing that really tripped me up when people are like, mm, that scene felt plotty. And like, is it too much plot? And I was like, I don't isn't that just stuff happening? Like, <laughs> like what does we that mean? You are telling a story in a way. Yeah. And I think I understand it. It's like one of those things where like Not- yeah. One time I got the note and it was explained in a way that I was like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Was it, was it funny? Like, yeah, I mean, that's in like, that's my favorite thing about Jess Eason is she, I think she's the one who says follow the funny and she doesn't care like if it is plot heavy or whatever, as long as if it's funny, then yeah. and it works. I I adore you, Jess Eason, if you're listening. <laughs> she's not, but <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't she's, know. she's definitely not, but um, um, you, you'd be surprised, is what I meant to say. There's a, a lot of people who reached out to me that I had no idea would have heard this. Yeah. And some people I was like, oh, that's so cool that they yeah. heard this somehow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're very, very popular. <laughs> This, this podcast is blowing up. I, I, I mean, why do you think I came on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just promoting. Like, I really don't want to talk about my mom, but <laughs> I got a new show. It's Friday. <laughs> so in Atlanta, yeah. Um, yeah. What's the like? Is there a is there an indie scene? Is there like places to perform? So the short answer is I don't know yet yeah. because I haven't been involved enough yet. Um, mm-hmm. I so yeah, like I said, I just started taking class at Dad's Garage. I really like it so far. I love my teacher. I love the rest of the class. They're really cool and eager and like. Um, there is a bit of an indie scene, so that's what I'm sort of trying to get into right now. That's so cool. Um, yeah, like I'm gonna go as soon as I get back. I'm gonna go to the one of the student jams and it'd be great to eventually be able to be a company member. They don't really have teams there. They, they have oh. a company. Um, I mean, well, I don't know that for sure. Again, I haven't done enough research. I've <laughs> just okay. started to get into it. So yeah. if we did this a year from now, I might have better answers. <laughs> okay. We'll have but a follow up. I'm working on it. Yeah. We'll have to do a, a, a second episode and I'll yeah. tell you. <laughs> and you're, you're, Primarily living there, but you it seems like you come out here a decent amount. 
Yeah, well, I've been working on a feature called 12 Months. Um, and for more than 12 months. For more, yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be 12 months, uh-huh. but um, my dad died in the middle of it. And uh, segue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so that's the it, whole point of this. That's yeah. a good tagline for this podcast. Sure. It's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good tagline. Um, I feel like that's that's a good tagline for my life. Actually. <laughs> yeah. It's not funny, but it's, it's not funny. funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it did take us a long time. So we were filming one month at a time, like in boyhood style. It's just a very simple oh, wow. plot about a relationship from their first date to their last. And uh, we, our plan was to just film like one or two days a month for 12 months. That's so cool. But it ended up, you know, well, with pickups and reshoots and everything, I expected there was going to be more. But because my dad died in the middle of filming and then our director's mother also died. Oh, my um, gosh. Not too long after that. So, yeah. That's a lot. Or Yeah. Were you, so you're living in Atlanta mostly full time and just coming out here to work on that stuff? Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, I just produced uh, yesterday and the day before, this past weekend, I also produced a short film. Uh, oh, nice. For a friend of mine that, you know, she it's her first, it's her di- directorial debut, mm-hmm. um, Anna Chazelle. Cool. And I'm very excited about that. Is it, um, I mean, it seems like there's a pretty big, like, industry scene in Atlanta too with like making stuff right um well it's you know it's it it, there's a big film industry that's for sure but from from my experience so far it's a lot more like the work gets done in Atlanta but like like the production work but the pre-production it it mostly gets done here so like casting and all that stuff gets done here and then they take it out there to film, um, which is great for local filmmakers and, you know, anybody who does behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. And they do cast out in Atlanta. At first it was mostly only like very small parts, but now they're, they're kind of casting more big, bigger stuff, especially if they do decide to like, if it's a show, you know, they're going to put down roots there and then they work out of Atlanta. So everything will come out of there. Right. Um, as far as indie stuff, yeah, there's there's definitely stuff, but um, I think just like in LA, you know, the big the money's always money's gonna be that's like the ruling class is any studio project, anything that's funded by a big studio is is the thing that's gonna you're gonna see a lot more of as opposed to i think there's more indie filmmakers coming up and finding ways around you know the money issue but yeah and by money issue i mean not having any um like (laughs) that makes sense that's uh i think that los angeles has really like uh for a long time you know the studio system is the the ruling class and here and like indie filmmakers have had to find ways around that and we do, you yeah, know. <laughs> totally. Were you raised in Atlanta? I was, yes. Okay, and you have a brother. I have a brother, an older brother, Ethan, and uh, yeah. And you guys are close? We are, yeah. We've been, I mean, I've, we've been through a lot, and uh, and I think we're like only like pretty recently we've we've gotten to a really good place in our relationship. 
Uh, yeah. Was it, yeah. Did, did losing your dad like change a lot of how you guys related? <clears throat> well, so we, uh, we lost our mom when I was 13 and he was 17. So that changed it the first time, I yeah. think. But yes, then when our, our dad died last year, that I think that did change things again. Mm-hmm. You uh, lost your mom when you were a teenager. So mm-hmm. like, was um, were your parents together at that point? They were, yeah, um, yeah. They were were they were together. Um, my dad had been a, bef- a few years before all everything started happening. Um, before my mom got sick, he had been promoted at work, and so his job was, I think, taking uh, taking up a lot of his time. He was out of town a lot. And I think that caused some strife between him and my mom. Mm -hmm. My dad, after my mom died, my dad would say sometimes he, he didn't know if me, him and my mom would have stayed together if she had lived. Um, which I thought was a very insightful thing for him to say, to be able to say that. Insightful? Yeah. And like very aware that, that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't just like, Oh, we had a perfect relationship and I love mm. her and miss her and like blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. like, like the fact that he was like able to look at it and be like, yeah, we had our problems, you know? Hmm. Yeah. That's, it definitely seems like it could be something you could gloss over. Yeah. And just like, yeah. I think when someone dies, especially, you know, there's that tendency to just be like, you know, we lost this beautiful person and everything about them was perfect and everything about mm-hmm. them in our lives was perfect. And that's just bullshit. Like, yeah. We all know that's not true. Yeah. If you, if you just go by funerals, like this world is full of the best people. Yeah. Ever. Every person is the strongest, <laughs> bravest light in every room. They, yeah. they walk into a room and light it up and everyone wants to be around them yeah. all the time. <laughs> you know, it's so, I've thought about that a lot. And, um, and, and, I was thinking about this with my mom and trying to always explain to people like who she was and, and mm-hmm. everything. And I, I, we probably talked about it a little bit maybe, but I probably haven't told you much, but like she really was like that. <laughs> and it's so hard to, because I know I'm the cynical person that goes like, no one's going to believe this because no. like, why would, because everybody says that about their dead loved yeah. ones, yeah. you know, but she really was like a special, like light of every room kind of person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel that way about my mom, but yeah, not, I'm sure, not in I'm the sure. same way. Like yeah. I, when I talk about my mom, I, I tell people like, I don't know. It's weird. Cause so I was, I was 10 when she got sick and 13 when she died. So I don't have as much, uh, of that kind of perspective of like, oh, she was this person who everyone loved. Like I yeah. saw her way more in like the way that a child sees their parent. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, of course. And, but like when I do talk about her, like she was on the PTA, she was my Girl Scout troop leader. Mm. Like she was really big on like, uh, recycling and like making sure that we were very aware that like we need to take care of our environment and, uh, you know, she worked at the local public access oh. television station. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and from talking to friends and as I've grown up, like, and become an adult, like anybody I talk to tells me like, oh, your mom was this amazing person. So dedicated to like working on, you know, 
whether it was like women's rights or making your school better, like she was just so involved. And yeah. like, that's, yeah. So that's how I see her. Totally. Well, I mean, so my mom got sick when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like just kind of becoming a, a, a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with yeah. like my own thoughts and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but I never, you know, it was like just before I kind of started to become that. And I think like, then she was sick for a decade and, but her brain was really bad most of the time. So it was tough yeah. for me to, I, I, I never got to, like, I stopped getting to know her yeah. at 14 kind of. And she's, you know, um, so similarly, like I never got to know her as, as an adult, Yeah, but like me being an adult, like I became an adult during that time and she was still around, but we weren't getting to know each other right. on a different level. Yeah. That, that part of your life had sort of. Yeah. Closed. But I, I can't imagine, I mean, being 10 is such a, also feels like a weird time because you are, you're, you're old enough to be aware of like death and stuff, but you're not nearly old enough to like think about it in a larger text. I don't know. Do you remember what it was like? Like, do you remember when she got sick or like how to, how that sort of, you reacted to that? Yeah. So, well, I'm writing a memoir about it. (laughs) Okay. So you really do. (laughs) Uh, So I've had to like think about it a lot and uh, I've, you know, I'm using some different source materials to try and remind me I had a diary. I kept a diary. It wasn't consistent, (laughs) you know, like I would write a few entries. When you were 10? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And it starts when I was seven. And like my seven-year-old entry, there's like one entry from when I'm seven and then it skips to like, and then I'm nine. Yeah. And then, you know, they're very sporadic. Mm -hmm. Like you could tell that I obviously like just did it whenever I felt like it. Sure. Um, But yeah, that, and then my brother also kept a journal. So the timeline is like the hardest thing to remember exactly when everything went down because yeah, like partly... I was just a kid and I was, you know, I've got things going on and uh, I, it, it's hard to, I, it's hard to place like when things would happen. But I do remember and from like rereading stuff and, uh, you know, it started, um, it, it started with her foot and she picked up, she came to pick me up from school one day and she tripped over this little like cement ramp that went into the door and, uh, she was, she, it really hurt. And she was like, ah, you're like, and I was like, are you okay, mommy? And she, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there, her foot like never got better. And she, eventually she wore like a boot and they didn't know what was wrong. And then basically like for a year and a half after that, like they were just trying to figure out what was wrong, like why her foot wouldn't get better. Mm-hmm. And then she was having trouble walking and, they diagnosed her with Lyme disease and then they thought she had MS and then they thought she had cancer. And it wasn't until, and this, this is the part of the timeline. Like, I'm not sure exactly. Was it a year and a half later? Was it two years later? She went to the Mayo Clinic and that's when they diagnosed her with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay. Um, but she, yeah, I mean, she was misdiagnosed quite a bit and they, so she didn't know, they didn't know what was wrong with her for quite some time. Um, which, I think was very hard on, on every, you know, on everybody because I don't, I don't think I thought there was anything really wrong for at least two years. Like, yeah, I remember the day my dad like forced me to go to therapy with 
him and my brother and he told us like this disease is going to kill her and I did not know my brother said and like the therapist was like did you know did you guys know and my brother was like yeah I I I knew and I was like I did not know how old were you at that then I guess I was 12 wow um and then and then do you remember that moment? Sorry to interrupt, but is no. it like, is that seared in your brain? Oh, like, yeah. I oh, yeah. imagine so. Yeah, it's very, I remember everything. Like, I mean, okay, so we had been in family therapy as a family before. And like, when I was little, like, I would just play while my my parents would have therapy. And they were hippies, my parents. So like, Same. this was not <laughs> um, crazy to me, I guess. But... Uh, and then as I got older, they wanted to include us, and I didn't like it. I remember hating it. I remember hating family therapy because, like, my behavior at home was examined. <laughs> and, like, I was not cool with that. So, yeah. like, when, like, the therapist would be like, well, why don't you like doing chores? Or why why haven't you, you know, taken responsibility for the chores that you've been assigned? I'm like, oh. Like, you're not allowed to parent me, too. Like, <laughs> it's not fair. Um, That's so funny. But so I did not, like, so anyway, that, yeah, that day uh, we went in, and I didn't know why he was forcing me to go because he kind of stopped forcing us to go since my mom had gotten sick. But I remember him sitting on the couch across from me and my brother, and he said, you know, your mom has this disease and it's it's probably going to kill her. And then he like broke down sobbing. And I had not seen him cry. And like the sight of him like weeping in front of me and my brother and our therapist, I was just like, oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, I definitely remember that feeling because I think the whole point was to make it real so that there was none of no more like this might happen or we don't know what will happen or let's hope for the best or let's pray or whatever. Like he needed to tell us she's going to die. Like, yeah, yeah. I can't. I mean, I, I, I never got it that I never got that because mm-hmm. I never knew that she was going to die. And I, I mean, I guess we knew sort of, but it was so ambiguous all the time and <sighs> that when she actually died, it felt like a sh- I was actually like shocked yeah. that she, I thought she was going to be sick forever. Yeah. <laughs> and if, part of I it was mean, after 10 years. Yeah. Can imagine. Part of it was just my denial of the fact that it, things have been getting pretty rapidly worse, but <clears throat> I never even really thought about it. Like, well, I guess I thought about it, but I never, it was, it was a block of like, so I never had that moment and I'm always interested or just like how that happens and how that affects you. And like, were you, do you remember being kind of like, cause I, I know in that moment I probably would have shut down. Like I, I don't think I would have been able to like fully take it in. I mean, you're a kid though. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like it's it's clear in my memory, and I do remember. So, so they told us that, and I do. I was in shock, and my dad asked, "Did you know?" Or the therapist asked, "Did you know?" And I said, "No." And then. My dad, because I think he was just trying to get it over with, he was like, also, we're going to have to put Skipper down. Your dog? Our dog, yeah. 
Oh my god! And like, yeah, it's funny, right? Like, <laughs> this is humorous at this point. And like, when like I talked about it with my brother the other day because I was like saying, yeah, I was working on this chapter in the book, and I was like, yeah, I just wrote about that day with Carl and the at the therapy place and like how Dad told us Mom was going to die, and then he told us that. <laughs> Skipper was gonna have to be put down, and it's just like the worst day of my yeah, life. That's the definition of insult to injury. And like, I think I remember Carl, our therapist, uh, being like, "Okay, well, let's <laughs> let's slow down for a second because that's a lot of information." <laughs> like trying to soften the blow. Oh my! God. And it was just too late. And I, I just remember, I just remember, yeah, I think I just remember feeling like everything inside me like fell apart and I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't know what to think. Like part of me was like, well, this, I mean, that's what they're saying, but maybe it's not true. Like I was in denial. I knew Skipper was old. He was like 14 and he was an old, he was old dog, um, my mom actually wrote a poem about him and how they were similar. It's oh. it's called Old Dog. <laughs> um, uh, but she wrote that when she was sick. Yeah, when she was sick. Because um, with ALS, just to, to to be clear, your brain is fine, right? Like you're you're, you're pretty much like all there yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a really horrific disease. Like yeah. your body just slowly shuts down. So like it. And, and you don't know how long it's going to take. Like some people have ALS for, for years or decades. It went really fast with my mom. They don't know why. Um, so, yeah, it, at first it affects your mobility and your, you know, your walking. And then your the rest of your muscles start to break down. And eventually, like, you, you can't move. Like, and that's <clears throat> when it starts to affect your your organs and your breathing and everything like that. Yeah. Like it's a just a degenerative disease. Uh, Do you think that was that poem kind of like a dealing like processing her sick like that she was going to die kind of stuff? I mean, she she was a she had written poetry for years, and she she was a creative person. She had been an actress, and she had written. So that poem, yeah, was certainly part of the reason. You know, she. She, you know, she didn't have anything to do at that point. And I think, uh, you know, while she could still type, that was something she did. And then she was actually um, the first person. So they did an operation on her later in her disease after, you know, we knew she was not doing well. Uh, they did this this neurosurgeon put a chip into her brain and this chip basically once it had uh i guess been surrounded by like the brain tissue i don't know how it works exactly but basically it's like she can have a thought and that thought gets typed onto the computer oh my god yeah it's it was revolutionary at the time it's it's being used today now by like by people who can't move or can't type um, so it works. And she was like the first human patient, I think, to have it done. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it was insane. And so she, when she couldn't talk anymore, she could still communicate like that? Well, no, because she died before she was really able to use it. Okay. But 
like all the stuff that they did showed that it was like doing what it was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, no, we didn't get that far. She, the, the, the last thing she was able to use was she had like this thing, uh, like an arm, um, like a metal arm that was, had like a little sensor on it at the end and she would use her head to, to like type out stuff. Wow. Which must have just been, I, I can't imagine like having to go through that every time you wanted to say something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, you know, you, you said you started off kind of in denial. Like, did it become more real as it was like getting bad? Did you have a moment where you sort of let it in, accepted it? And... Um, I don't think I accepted it until after she died and then maybe not even then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like watching her deteriorate was horrible. And, um, there was, she had a physical therapist who was very like hippy dippy and like, I would ask him sometimes like, do you think my mom could get better? And he would always say yes. Oh, and that's not helpful. No. Uh, he like, he should have known better. Like I have a lot of anger at him for, you know, giving me that false hope. I mean, she had a terminal illness and he had no right to tell a child like everything's going to be okay. I understand that impulse now as an adult, but one of the things I've had to really grapple with is like letting my, ch the child in me, like letting that 12 year old girl in me be mad and angry and upset at the people who kind of let me down during that time. Yeah. Cause it's, uh, I think, you know, obviously losing a parent and losing your mother is fucking horrible, but it could have been better if there had been more people. I think that, stepped up to the plate, you know, when our family was in crisis. Um, I mean, it's not like, I don't, I don't mean to say like, no, no one loved us and like, no one, like we were all alone, but you know, I think there's things that can make something like that better. And a lot of her friends, a lot of the people that I think, you know, could have done more didn't out of, you know, whatever silly notion of like, oh, I don't want to bother them in their time of grief or yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to presume and, you know, try to be her mother or whatever. And like in doing that, they left me kind of, uh, in not such a good place. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're like thinking about it and dealing with it. Have you, have you kind of let any of it out? Let it, you know, let that stuff go and feel better. Um, I don't know that I've let it go. I think that the book is part of a way to do that. Um, yeah. Because, like the like, the adult part of me forgives them, and like, again, it wasn't like some horrible betrayal or something. Like, yeah, it was just a realization that like, people like to 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 keep to their own families and their own circles, and they don't. They're so afraid of like stepping on toes or like you know doing the wrong thing that sometimes they don't do anything. And she had a couple friends. Her friend Audrey Galix, I think, really tried, and I really appreciate that she she stepped in and and really tried to be in my life. Um, my my school at the time, I went. Um, my dad transferred me like two weeks before she died. He transferred me to a friend's school, and my teachers, all my teachers there, like thank God for them. 
and the kids too, like they were godsend. Like I'm so lucky because I had been in a really big, huge middle school where uh, it was horrible. Like I was, I was being threatened by this boy. Like every day he was threatening to come and he was going to come and kill me. Like Jesus. Yeah. I, in I mean, middle was, school? Yeah. It was public school and it was just a huge, it's like, you know, there's thousand kids in my grade and yeah. he just, he bullied me cause I, I, one day I wanted the four square lot. <laughs> that's, that's true. Like I, the boys would always take it. And so one day I was like, I think we should share. <laughs> and after that, How he, dare you? he'd just come up and like hit me on the head and be like, I'm going to come and kill you. I'm going to come to your house and kill you. Oh my God. So my dad transferred me. Yeah. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. I was I was sick all the time too. Like I was absent so much that year. Really? I got bronchitis like four times. I always yeah. Like I was yeah. I mean I'm sure it was. Of course it was related. Like yeah. I was I always had stomach aches all the time. You know, and like it wasn't yeah. Like when I had bronchitis, I had like high fevers. Like it wasn't all just like oh my tummy hurts. Like yeah, it's amazing how much that can. Uh, like how uh, stuff happening in your life can actually make you sick. It's not yeah. like you're like, Oh, it's in your head. It's like actually like yeah. it affects you in a way. I that, remember my dance teacher, like sitting me down and being like, I know your mom is sick, but you're not sick. And I was like, uh, I mean, I know. And she's like, you have to stop missing so many rehearsals. Cause I was on the dance team and I was like, okay, I'll try. And then oh I, I, I quit like a little while later because she yeah. thought she could tell you to just snap out of it. I mean, yeah, I think that's what she was trying to do. I do remember her telling me like she said if I needed to like go to her and cry, it was OK. Uh-huh. And she's like, <laughs> my mom thought this was hilarious when I told her she was like, I've had kids come and cry to me and I had to take out my shoulder pads and wring them out. <laughs> Which, first of all, I don't believe that for a second. No. Your shoulder pads are not wet enough yeah. in tears that you had to wring them out. Maybe also, they were a little snotty, but like they're inside the shirt anyway. Yeah, who takes out and shoulder who takes pads? Out, who's wearing shoulder pads in 1992? I mean, I oh, guess. Yeah, that is the time okay. to do it. I think. Or was it 92? No. Uh, <laughs> 94. 94. <laughs> I guess there were still in. Shoulder pads were still in in 94. You know what's funny? You say shoulder pads totally makes me think of my mom. She would wear. Oh, my God. Like, you know, as like she was gay and she, I feel like kind of like once she was with my stepmom, I feel like started to lean a little more into like. Uh, lesbian fashion, mm-hmm. which so many shoulder pads. Oh my gosh. But it's fabulous. Like now it's like coming back, I think a little bit. Well, I don't know about the shoulder pads, <laughs> but like I see pictures of my mom and with the shoulder pads and I'm like, that is a fabulous outfit. Hell like yeah. it's so. She yeah. had an 80s mullet for a long oh, time yes. too, a fashion mullet. Nice. It was so great. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> did your mom, did she have cool hair? She, uh, she just had curly hair like mine and she, she dyed it sometimes. Like she put a little color in it. I remember her worrying about going gray mm-hmm. and I would, I remember asking her like, why, why don't you, why do you want to color it? And her being like, 
because she was a fem, you know, she's like a staunch feminist and like definitely didn't want me to like have insecurities about things. And like, she was like, you know, Elizabeth, sometimes you just want to, you want to change something or, you know, cover something up and that's okay. But it, you don't have to like, <laughs> I don't have to cover the grays, yep. you know, but I, I want to, so I do. And I was like, okay, like. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. I remember like when I started, she showed me how to shave for the first time and she was like very adamant, like your body hair is natural and there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to shave, that's fine. Like, yeah. Man, being a mom must be hard. I know, right? <laughs> Just like, thinking about that, like, oh, wow. Like yeah. how do you, yeah, the message today for girls, it's it's complicated. yeah. But she wrote me this really beautiful letter uh, about breasts and like how I shouldn't worry about getting them or and like it wasn't just about breasts, but like she was like, you know, you shouldn't. I really hope you don't ever feel like your boobs are there's anything wrong with them in any way, no matter how big or small they are. Like, please don't. I like don't worry about it and it it's funny like when I read that I was like yeah okay mom like but I really haven't ever it's like one it's like one part of my body that I've never been like oh I wish you were different yeah like I've always just been very accepting of like these are my boobs and they're great like, do you think it's I mean do you like think about that letter I do, do I do think about like I'm wondering I'm like well why didn't you write one for like my butt and my thighs and my hips you write individual letters for each part of your body <laughs> each body part so I don't have to be self-conscious come on man. I know um it sounds yeah. like you I mean even though she got sick when you're so young it's like you still have a lot of like memories and things that like lessons or whatever you know thoughts from her yeah I think she really once she knew how sick she was, she she did make a, a strong effort to, like, give me everything she could. And I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. It's one of the, I guess, I mean, not that there's anything good about ALS, but, yeah. I mean, the fact that her brain was largely pretty sharp, right, that she could consciously yeah. try to give as much as she could. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, I think that was like a blessing and a curse, right? Of course. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I I always just was so, you know, because my mom's brain was bad, that was the thing that was bad. I mean, her body, she had kidney failure, but um, she ended up just basically dying of dementia, like mm -hmm. at, in her 50s. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, just always just so long of her being like in and out of, of brain function, but never quite all the way there. But then you get these little moments of her being yeah. there that was so tough. And I just like, you know, so desperately wanted to just like shake her and like, like her, like wake up and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, like yeah. <laughs> for so long. Um, yeah. Every, everything is so different. Like the, it's kind of opposite in a way. Like her body was like pretty good, but her brain just kept getting worse. Yeah. Um, both ways are bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recommend either. Either one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, your dad was stuck, not stuck, but you know, he was taking care of two kids while his wife was dying. Like, yeah. Was that horrible? Yeah. How did he, how did he do? Not well. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, he he stuck around, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Like, he he tried. He just didn't know what he was doing. Like, my mom had been our primary caregiver, um, and my dad was the first one to admit this. Like, when they got married and when they decided to have kids, like, they wanted to be co-parents. They call it co-parenting today. I guess they just called it parenting before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, they both wanted to be hands-on parents. And then as my dad's job kind of got more demanding, I think they they really fell into the breadwinner and the homemaker. So, you know, my mom was the one taking me to dance and karate and uh, picking us up from school, and my dad was at work. And so... I do, I mean, especially, like, from, like, eight or nine on, I remember, uh, well, I mean, we didn't have that long, but um, he was away a lot, and so, uh, I mean, even before that, he was away a lot. I He would always bring us presents from wherever he'd been, and he'd, he'd been everywhere, and he was always going to conference. He worked for CNN um, in the satellites department, so... Yeah, he was away a lot. I definitely didn't think of him the same way as I thought of my mother. Like, I loved him, but, you know, I think given a choice of, like, who I wanted to have take care of me, it was my mom. Um, even though, like, by the at around nine years old, like, we had started to get into some of the, like, mother-daughter fighting type thing. Um, but... Yeah, he he just was very unprepared. He, uh, two weeks after my mom died, he left and went on a trip to Washington, D.C. for a week and left me with my grandparents. Whoa. They had moved in about six months before that, I think. Your dad's parents? My mom's parents. Your mom's parents. Yeah. And they were not so much fun as you can imagine that you know their yeah, daughter they just was lost their daughter dying but they were not so great to me and my brother they were uh you know yeah they were in a they were in a very difficult situation and they didn't deal with it well yeah and uh i remember like fighting so much with my grandmother um she like one time we were having a fight and she just called me a spoiled brat and I remember really like feeling really mad and hurt by that and like I remember one time I came home from school and there was like this um there was like this stuffed animal it was like a, a lion it was still in like the box or whatever like the little thing it came in and I like got really happy and I was like oh, is this for me and my grandmother was like no it's for your mother like I thought it would be nice to put it on her bed. And I remember being so disappointed and angry. Yeah, like, yeah. she's not even a kid. Like, why does she get it? Like, but, you know, that's that's how, you know, that's how they saw it. Like, Isn't it crazy? There's just like the ripple effects of someone yeah. dying. It's just like everyone is dealing with it in their own way. Yeah. And their own way affects you and that affects them. And it's just like yeah. this spider web of like yeah. and shit. Yeah, I, and I was kind of at the bottom of all of that, I think. Like as, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't, I wasn't, you know, in charge of anything. I couldn't take care of her. And uh, I was, I feel like the most powerless of, of the entire family. I was the, I'm the youngest child. And yeah, uh, yeah, that was, um, I mean, in a way, like, I always think of my brother and like how he must have felt really frustrated because 
you know, he's he's a child too. You know, he's 15, 16, 17 when she died. And at the same time, he probably, he had some of the burden put on him because, you know, he, it couldn't be put on me because I was too young. And uh, I'm sure he tried to look out for me. I know he tried to look out for me. And like, there was one fight that we had. My dad, my dad's father was put in a home when I was 12. And we went down there. Uh, he, he lived in Florida. So we were moving him to like assisted living and it was just the worst trip. Like my dad was just so stressed out and angry, like the whole trip. And me and my brother, like anytime we would try to have fun, he would like yell at us. And like we came home, uh, we drove back from Florida that night and it was like 2 a.m. We got home and I remember my dad and my brother got into this horrible fight and my, my brother was really like standing up for me. And he was like, mm-hmm. she's a kid. She's just a kid. You can't treat her like that. She's not an adult. Like, you talk to her like she's an adult. And my dad being like, she's smart as a whip. I can't get anything past her. And my brother was like, that doesn't matter. She's still a kid. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, that was my brother, I think. Like, that was very indicative of, I think, how he felt and... uh mm-hmm. That's, I mean, wow, that's a lot in that. Like your yeah. brother is standing up to your dad, yeah. defending you after he lost his mom. Like that's yeah. like a big moment. Yeah, it was. That that night really stands out in my memory because uh, we got back and then they had that fight and I was up in my room and then they went to return. We had had a rental car for some reason, I think. I don't remember why. And they went to return it, but I didn't know they left. And so I like went downstairs and they were gone and I went upstairs and I went into my brother's room because he had a window that like, uh, opened onto the garage roof and I started opening the window and I took the screen out and I decided I was going to kill myself that night. But then, um, as soon as I got the screen out of the window, I put one foot out there and then they came home and I changed my mind. Whoa. Yeah, it was intense. I yeah. didn't tell anyone for a long time. Yeah. Was that the only time you thought about it? Was it like about a quick... suicide? No. I mean, I, I definitely like, I, I didn't, I didn't have any other attempts, but I, yeah. I definitely thought about it several other times. Do you think it was, was it like, did you have reason? Like, was it like because of losing your mom? Yeah. And like okay. hearing that fight and realizing that like my dad was never going to be the same, like that we were never going to be the same, that my family was just basically shattered. I think mm. it was like that realization and, and just like being like, I'm all alone. Like I am completely alone. And then because they weren't there, like I felt that aloneness and like, uh, you know, in that moment. And I think that's like how a lot of teenagers feel in their, in their darkest moments. It's like, they do feel completely alone. And, and that decision comes so fast. Yeah. I, I mean, to like, I don't think I would have died if I jumped off the roof, by the way, like I would have been badly injured, but like, it wasn't, you know, yeah, I lived, it was a two story house. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then, yeah, so I mean, the the relationship with your brother then, like, was it kind of? I mean, you mentioned it changed twice. So was it kind of forged in that fire? Kind of, uh, yeah. You become really bonded with him after all this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, 
it it definitely made us closer and it made us uh yeah into like allies in a way um Ethan also like has, has had some really you know that like that fight that I heard was not that different from like when my dad and my brother would get into it or when my dad was upset like he was a yeller he was always a yeller and like I never experienced any kind of physical abuse but like there were times when he yelled at me like so loudly and so like mean that I I would just start sobbing like my dad had anger issues that he got from his dad and my brother got them from our dad like yep the men in our family have just you know and my brother has basically like worked his whole life to overcome a lot of those because they're very inherent in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up, you know, in our in our relationship in the last several years, like he's definitely come a long way. And like there were years where he was just like a bully to me hmm. and not nice to me and not necessarily like screaming at me, but like just not nice. And that's something he he's really tried to overcome. And I, I think he, he, he's, yeah, like, it's just like, you know, the, like, I think the typical, like little sister, big brother thing kind of be kind of morphed into this thing of like him feeling like I was like the one person that he would kind of like be that way to, because he knew I would always love him which I did. And I remember the day when I was like, I think I was like 25 or 26 when he like snapped at me over something. And I just looked at him and said, you can't talk to me that way anymore. Yeah. And he got really defensive and really mad. But then later he came to me and he was like, I'm so proud of you for saying that. You're absolutely right. Like, I'm sorry that I, I have that. Uh, that I talked to you that way and it's not okay and I'm working on it. Wow. Um, and that was a really big moment for me from growing up in this house and like dealing with the aftermath of her death and like two men, you know, uh, like they, my brother and my dad taught me to drive and that was <laughs> interesting. But like me standing up for myself as a woman, because like a lot of times what would happen is if there was a fight or something, they would yell and I would cry. Yeah. Like I would just retreat into myself. And I really had to work to overcome that. As an actor, just as a person, like, uh, I think it's, and I still have trouble with, like, male authority figures standing up to, or, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was, yeah, that was a big thing. I kind of, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, it's different, but I played, I kind of played that role (laughs) that you did, too. Um, I didn't have any sisters, um, but I was definitely, like, the more sensitive and shy, not maybe not shy, but just very like sensitive kid. Mm -hmm. And so when there was like fighting and stuff, I would be the one that would, you know, either try to like calm people down or then just like cry and run away. And, um, my dad and my brother, yeah, they won't mind. Uh, um, I was literally just in Colorado mm-hmm. hanging out with my brother and my dad and like we try to get together the three of us like at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got in like a fight, like a real fight. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I've seen them getting 
like a fight like that. Like I've only maybe only seen it like once before like that bad. Yeah. It was really, really intense. Yeah. And uh and they're fine now. Yeah. But like in that moment, I just like reverted back to being a scared kid, yeah. you know? And it was crazy because I was I and I like I thought about it later and I was really going through it and I was like, if this had been a fight between two any other two people I know, mm-hmm. I would have acted so much differently. Yeah, right. And I would have like, I would have, you know, I don't know. I would have probably tried to step in or, you know, I wouldn't have been so scared. But right. because it's my brother, my dad, I just become like a yeah. six-year-old scared kid. Yeah. And that's yeah. a part of yourself that's hard to reckon with. And I think hard to embrace, but it's really important to like give that part of you just some acknowledgement. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. Like inner child stuff is like Mm -hmm. something that seems, I never really gave it too much thought. Yeah. But when you think about it, it's like, Oh, that was that part of me that came out there. And, um, you know, we can't just like, we can't just ignore it or push it away or be embarrassed by it. Cause it is like, it's you're, I'm a grown person. It's embarrassing to be (laughs) scared of people yelling. Yeah. But Yeah. You, you have. I think you have to give that part of you its due, otherwise, it just it stays it stays the same and it affects your behavior. Yeah. If you don't, you don't say, uh, "Hey, like my one of my acting teachers um, gave me this really good piece of advice, and he he said, you know, when he gets." really anxious or when something really scares him, he'll, he'll tell himself, he'll say, cause he knows it's like that child part of him that's scared. He'll say, it's okay. It's okay. Young, young Sal, like, right. I'm going to take care of you. Like, I'm adult Sal and I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. And I really like that idea of, of like telling that child, like, I know you're scared and you, it's okay for you to be scared cause you're a child. But I'm adult Elizabeth, and I'm I'm gonna take care of you. Yeah. Like, totally. I I hear you. I hear you, and it's okay that you're upset, and it's okay to be angry, and okay to be scared. But I got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think like I'll, I'm definitely leaning towards being very like scared of confrontation just in general mm-hmm. in my life, or yeah. like, delivering bad news. Or, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and. Uh, that and makes it, me nervous just thinking about it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I really think like telling someone, I mean, we I've talked about this before, but like just my stepmom had to call me and tell me my mom died. Oh. And I was like, I would so much rather be on this end of it, receiving that news than having to oh, tell God. someone. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's, I like that perspective of like, treating it like two, two sides of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I guess when you're in that scared moment, all you, it just feels like that's who you are. And yeah, rather than like just a, a piece of you that hasn't grown up. Yeah. Well, so I went through some pretty serious, um, treatment for depression, uh, at a place called Skyland Trail in Atlanta. And, uh, that I think was the first time I had really dealt with my mom's death. I thought I had dealt with it before that, but in retrospect, like, I don't think I had. 
How long ago was this? Just a so that was <laughs> it was probably twenty thirteen. Okay. Yeah, twenty thirteen. Um and it was I had finished nannying for I had I had said I, I don't you know, I don't think I I needed a break because I was not doing well person like my mental health was just I was just very depressed. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't know why because nothing had really happened in my life, but I think it was a culmination of things and also, yeah, like never having dealt with my mom's death. And, um, so I went into treatment. It wasn't, it wasn't like a residential. It was a day program. My, my best friend, Amy calls it sad camp, <laughs> um, which it kind of was cause I would like go oh. in the morning at like eight and I'd be done at like four and it's an amazing program. It was, it sounds really nice. Um, it was, they used, yeah, they used a lot of holistic, they did, there was art therapy and gardening therapy and, um, but they also dealt with it, you know, as a medical, there were, you know, doctors who worked, talked about your medication and worked with you, yep. um, and group therapy. And that was the first time I did CBT and DBT therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the DBT is what ended up really working for me. Uh, but, uh, the point of this was like that I hadn't. I hadn't really like uh, talked to or or listened to that part of me, uh, and that was like the first time that I acknowledged that that child and said like, I it's okay like maybe I didn't deal with this and maybe I need to be kinder to that person and be kinder to that child like. Yeah. I think I I was and I'm sure you felt the same way. It was like you're kind of forced to grow up really fast. Yep. And there's no recompense for that. Like there's no then you're just a grown up. And you yeah. can't go back and experience your childhood again and you can't have a different one. Like you just have to deal with what happened um and learn to be an adult having had those experiences and it it's like Everybody just wants you to move on, but there's there's a lot to be said for acknowledging those things in your like that part of your life that was like tragic, like very very tragic. And the way to acknowledge that is different for everybody, but I think it's very important that that happens. The other thing is, so I was an actual child when my mom died, yeah, and that was something that like. Like I said, my dad did kind of treat me like an adult. Like I didn't have what well, was one of the issues. Like I didn't have a bedtime. I didn't have rules. I, you know, I didn't, he didn't have any idea what to do. So there was no structure in my life. And I ended up going to a boarding school about an hour north of Atlanta, which I think was like a, a really, really good, important thing that happened um, because it gave me that structure and the consistency and a sense of, of family that I had been like longing for and missing ever since she had died and my brother had gone back to college. You know, losing your mom at 13 is very different from losing your mom at, at 20 or 24. Or, totally. You know, any, any of those ages. But um, I think the thing to remember is like, if your parent dies, you're always a child in that situation because you're their child Mm -hmm. and no matter how old you are it's gonna put you back into that frame of mind of being a child because you have all that history and because you are their child like 
I remember reading the book Wild, and she talks in it about losing her mom. And she was 22, I think, when her mom died. And there's a section in it where she says she's so she was mad, and she finally faced it that she was so mad because she didn't get she didn't get the rest of her childhood, and she didn't she didn't get uh, she didn't get that part of she didn't get to grow up with her mom. And I remember reading it and being so angry, like. Yes, you did. Like you got you got way more time than I got. And like I couldn't read it for a while. And then I came back to it and realize like having to realize like it's okay. Like I can acknowledge that like, yes, I was much younger than her, but like that's not how it felt. And that's not how it feels to a lot of people mm-hmm. when you lose your parent too young. Yeah. You know, there's too young is not there's no limit, you know? Of course, if you're 35 or 40 or 50 when you lose your parent, like that's a more acceptable age and maybe you have better tools to deal with it and maybe it's more normalized because that's a more normal time to to lose your parent. But also like it's you're always you're always going to feel that way and like Yeah, I was just yeah. talking to uh another comedian in here and he lost he's 40. And he lost both of his parents in the last year, like three months apart. Wow. And it's such a different thing. Yeah. But it has its own stuff. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, and that's the thing is it's like we're not it's not something you can compare. Like you can can't compare the two. Um, and you shouldn't because it's not like they're just different. You yeah. know, they're different because like my brother you know, his experience was a lot different than mine because he was at a much different stage in his life. And like our experiences were different because you were at a different stage of your life. But there's, there's all these things, you know, like that happened that like, I'll never be able to understand what it was like to have to watch your mom go through that over 10 years and like you trying to grow up. And like, I think the thing that I realized after reading that book is like, there is no same in like loss mm-hmm. there is no exactly the same or like or like oh well this is worse than this or this is the harder of the like there is just isn't because everything is circumstance and like the response i get when i tell people like i lost my mom at 13 a lot of times it's like oh god such a hard age mm-hmm. and i used to just be like uh but now i've tried i like now i i i try to hear that and then also acknowledge that like they're all hard ages. Yeah. Like it's, it's always a hard age and I'm like, yeah. There's this, uh, I've said this before, but it seems appropriate now, but something that like helped me be okay with that sort of feeling of like, Oh, I guess mostly of like not getting over it mm-hmm. is like, there's this philosopher, uh, who John O'Donohue who lost his mom and he, he's basically the quote is, you know, no one ever truly gets over the loss of, of their mom. And it, he was talking about it in his case, but like mm-hmm. mom or dad. And I think like, even if you're 50 or 60 and you lose your parent, like from that moment until you die, there's a piece of you that's going to hurt all the time. Yeah. And it's just, it's never, it, you know, it, the goal isn't to, um, get to a point where you're like, I'm 100% fine with this because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's never coming. No. And I can, you know, I have, I have definitely have moments in where I'm 
really not hurting about it. And I'm mm-hmm. really feeling very positive and just like thinking about her and just like feeling really happy and my life is awesome. But there, then there, are, it always comes back around to being fucking mad that she's not here and, yeah. and just all the negative stuff comes back and, and I'm just getting more okay with that of like seeing that as a part of the, of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to do. I, I remember I've had a lot of therapists. <laughs> um, I got some issues. <laughs> you can tell. Um, but one of my therapists said there was a writer. She wrote a book and about losing her mom, I think. And the thing she said in it was she started to be a, like a person again when she stopped trying to get over her mother's death and started to live with it. Yeah. And like that was a very powerful thing for me to hear like because I think people do want you to get over it you know I mean for a while like it just that's seems like that's what people want you to do and you, you have to move on and all of this shit like and we know that's not true like I spent a lot of my life just putting pressure on myself to get over it yeah and feeling like just beating myself up about why I wasn't over it and mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to do all this fucking work to get over it. Yeah. It's just like, ah, it's a lot. It's long. Everybody's parents die. Like, relax. Yeah. But then when you go, oh, everybody's parents die and everyone hurts from it, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're all the same. Yeah. But yeah, we are, but we're also not. Like, no yeah. one, like, literally, no one will ever understand. Like, no one will ever understand what it's like when it's just, it's a singular experience. And like, I can't, I can't make someone understand what that was like, you know, to, to lose my mom at 13. Like that is not an experience that most people have. And it is far younger than most people lose their parents. And it's, but it's not about, getting someone to understand mm-hmm. what that is like it's it's just about it's like a recognition of it and then the the acceptance of it and like the ability to connect with other people without trying to compare and like i guess like singular like singularized that's not a word but like we don't have to be, we can be in the same, we can be in the same pool without, you know, swimming in the same lanes. Like they're, 100%. they're, they're different experiences for everybody. And like, but we can all, but we can also talk, you know, and like, and like, it's good to know that other people have suffered a similar loss or, you know, cause it really is like, I think. And I've heard this from lots of people who have lost parents early on. Like, you do feel so isolated. And, like, I remember feeling, like, a freak. Like, I was just a weird girl whose mother had died. And, like, I hated that feeling. Like, and I would avoid telling people because I didn't want them to feel sorry for me. And I didn't want that that stigma. And uh, another therapist, I remember, told me that or I was in a grief group at Skyland and he said 
that one of the reasons uh, grief is, is hard to deal with, uh, especially right now, is that it's so isolated. It's and it's um, it's not normalized. Like years and years and years ago, people died all the time in the streets at home. Like <laughs> there's people, there are dead people everywhere. Like there were like people were dying and that happened to a lot of people. It happened to kids. It happened to people. They would lose three or four close family members. Like that happened. And then as medicine improved and like, you know, hospitals improved and infection rates were down, like that stopped happening as much. But now for the most part, people die away from their homes and hospitals. So we don't see it. And most people, you know, most people, by the time they're 30, it's rare that maybe they've seen a dead body once or twice Yeah. at a funeral. But you don't, most people don't just, you know, experience death in that intense way that like you've experienced it and I've experienced it and like watching someone slowly die or being there when they die. Like it's kind of rare Yeah. Uh, at a young age, especially. And in that, it's become more traumatic. Like without that shared experience of like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And oh yeah, that, yeah, that also happened to me. Like it becomes more traumatic because you are more uh, rare. Yeah. And that is something that I had never thought about. Like it really is, it, it, it makes it harder in a way like to deal with it because you, in a, in a lot of ways, like, you are alone in that, you know, like, because uh, you, you know other people haven't experienced it. My brother was very adamant after our, our dad died last year. Like, we, so we're Jewish, and he wanted to sit Shiva. And so yeah. we did, and I was not into it. But I'm really glad, actually, that we did. We didn't do it whole hog, like... Yeah, what what I don't I know generally what that is, but can you explain it a little more? I will explain it to the best of my limited Jewish knowledge. <laughs> um, okay. So it's basically after someone dies, you don't you basically sort of uh, cloister yourself away in that you stay in the house and you don't go out, and you cover all the mirrors, and people come to you. So people mm. come and sit with you and grieve with you, but you don't do anything. You don't do any work. You don't do any anything that requires like, you know, effort or energy. You you stay in the house and you grieve. And people come and bring you food and like you're supposed to not like I think in traditional sense you're not even supposed to stand up. Like Oh wow. You're supposed to I think like a long, long time ago, people with chamber pots and stuff like that. But now I'm sure like you can go to the bathroom. But other than that, you're not really supposed to go anywhere or do anything. And is the for seven days is the body supposed to be with you? That I don't know. There okay. might be some, maybe in Orthodox, but I'm not. Sh- mm, no, 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 no. I don't think so because in Judaism we bury the body very quickly. Okay, that's part of that's part of the um, tradition. Is that you have the funeral and bury the body very quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's more to do with grieving and like the uh, letting the family uh, 
ex- like have the acceptance that this person's gone and pray for them and, and pray for their, their soul to be at peace. Yeah. Um, so how much yeah. of that did you do? You know, we did, we did, we did stay at home. We did avoid doing like errands. People were bringing food, so we didn't really go out. Um, we, my brother covered the mirrors. We said some prayers and we lit the candle every night. And, um, you have like sort of like a little shrine. So we had a picture Mm. of him with the, this, uh, the candle and we said the, the prayer for the dead. Um, so yeah, and I I'm glad we did it. Actually, it was good to have that have that um, time. Yeah, it's also I mean the the not doing errands and and like working is makes a lot of sense in the in the sense that like generally in our society when someone dies you're like you just have there's so much to do right yeah right there for is. like a while oh my god you become insane. like a you know, like I've said this before, but like a, immediately you have to plan a party essentially, Yeah, <laughs> which is insane. It is. And like, it's kind of a nice tradition of like, you know, the people that are grieving the most, like let's let everyone else help them. Yeah. That's absolutely. really nice. Yeah. Did you have to plan the funeral and stuff at that time though? Um, I mean, my uncles were, were there and so no, we, we didn't have to do that much. It Well, that's not true. We did, yeah, we did have to plan the funeral and then the, the like, the service after. Um, but we kind of, luckily, my uncles were there. So my brother, my dad had two brothers, has two brothers. Yeah. Uh, so they were there and they helped with a lot of that. Yeah. Um, which was nice because it, it didn't fall completely on me and Ethan. Yeah. And my uncle, who's the executor of my dad's estate, uh, a lot of it, fell on him too, like my dad's accounts and sh- like closing all of that, which was, yeah. I mean, it's been like, it's been over a year and we're just now like starting to have the, the last of, you know, things that he, were accounts that he had that we are closing. Yeah, It's insane how much. It's so crazy. And so many people calling the house and asking for them. And at first I was like very like, oh, I'm sorry, he's passed away. And now if someone calls the house and asks for him, I'm like, he's dead. He died He died a year ago. So please don't call again. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, just stop calling, please. I remember Comcast, I had to go, like, they wouldn't cancel the phone or something or the internet. I don't know what it was, but I had to, like, show up with a fucking death, death certificate. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You have to bring a death certificate. I had to do that with AT&T. Yeah. And, uh... Are, are that many people trying to scam them on I dead people? I guess so, because it's a it's a big thing. I had no idea until I had to do it. Like the thing with AT and T. Oh, I'm so mad at them right now because they're st- like I still haven't gotten like we. I I had to cancel our our security system because we got a new one, and they made it so incredibly difficult to get it canceled. It was just one part. Like we still have an account with them. We have internet, and they have made it. AT&T, if you hear this and you're listening... I will tag them. You better make sure you wrap this up because you you need to fix this. This is an error in your system. You have too many departments and like yeah. this one department to, to cancel the security... Like my uncle couldn't do it and like I couldn't do it 
And then once the paperwork went through or whatever, like I had to send them this thing and then I had to send them a death certificate and then I had to send them a separate email. And like yeah. it was to like, and there was no number, like the number that I called, they couldn't do it. And they're like, we, here's the number for the department. And I called that number and that was like a retail store. Yeah. And I called them back and told them and they're like, oh, well, we have to find out who you're supposed to call. And it was just like this huge runaround. God, you would think that corporations would have, well, of course you wouldn't, but you would want them to like sacrifice a little bit of money to just be like, you know what, we're going to close it. Like, yeah. even if we get scammed on this, like whatever. Yeah. But no, they can't, no. It, they make it so hard. It's so crazy. Yeah. It, it It's really insane how much legwork you have to do in some instances too. And like, like, yeah, there were, other, there was other stuff that like, like I, my dad had like a, uh, an account at our bank for like the mortgage on our house or something. And like, they wouldn't talk to any of us. Like we would call them just to find out if, if there was money in the account or if we owed anything. And they were like, Oh, we can't, we can't tell you anything. Oh, and I was yeah. like, can you at least tell me if like, are like, do we owe an, owe a payment? And they were like, we can't, we, we can't disclose that information. I'm like, can you tell my uncle? He's the executor. And they were like, well, we can, but only after it's gone through probate. And like, that doesn't happen sometimes for months. So, and I was like, well, what if we owe a payment on the house? And like, I don't want them to foreclose. And we did, we got a foreclosure notice. It ended up being okay. And like, it didn't count, but like, that's why we were having that conversation was because we had gotten a foreclosure notice and they wouldn't tell us anything. Yeah. It's just, it really like if you haven't gone through it, like there just are so many steps Mm -hmm. to like close out someone's life. It's wild and they're all frustrating and you're not the person equipped to do it, but you have to. Yeah. It's, it's so intense. Um, (laughs) On that note, (laughs) no, um, I mean, I guess to wrap up kind of like, you know, the stuff you learned from losing your mom, from going back to, to like deal with it, um, you know, in back in 2013 and whatever, like, have you this time around, <laughs> have you been able to like, to get a little bit in front of that stuff and, and to treat yourself, um, you know, with, I don't know, some kindness. That's a, that's a good question because I've thought about it a lot and like, it's just so different. It's yeah. so different. And like, one of the things I had to keep telling myself was like, while this was happening was I'm an adult now. I can handle this. Hmm. Like I was not prepared and I shouldn't have had to be prepared to deal with that when I was 13. Like, and it, you know, when I say it tore my world apart, it really did. Like my life. Yeah. Like my whole life just felt like it was torn from me. My childhood was torn from me. And, um, like one one of the people that it did did really like help uh was my cousin Jane and she has two kids Laura and Julia my cousins um and growing up like I re- like they were kind of close to us in age me and my brother and I really loved them and she like took us on a trip um to Williamsburg Virginia and when I was 12 she took me and Julia and Laura and it was so much fun and like I'm so grateful to her for that and like uh, really trying to like give me some sense of normalcy in childhood back 
because it was it was such a uh, yeah it was it was having my childhood taken away too early Mm -hmm. um and so this time um we went on to Williamsburg again no um (laughs) no this time yeah I've just I've realized like it really is just a whole different as hard as it's been as like sad and difficult and sometimes and like really overwhelming it's just a totally different experience as an adult you know like I I I I do. I keep telling myself like this is hard and it's sad and it sucks and it's awful, but I can deal with it. Yeah. I'm going to survive it. I remember when I was really really depressed and going through treatment, um I went to like a session with my dad and one of my hugest fears, you know, for so long, I was terrified of losing my dad and just like to be clear, like my dad did not take care of himself ever. I think mm-hmm. after my mom's death, he, um, I think it kind of broke him and he never recovered. Uh, and he was a wonderful, generous, sweet, kind man, but he never took care of himself. He had, you know, he had a heart attack when I was 16 and he had two more before he, you know, died. And neither of those heart attacks ended up killing him either. Wow. Like he smoked for 30 years and he was a diabetic, uh, and in a way, like I thought maybe he was going to live forever because he yeah. seemed to have cheated death quite a few times, like, like insane. Like he was overweight. He never exercised. And that, he just like, he just like bat heart attacks away like a ball, like get rid of that shit. I'm, I'm not dying today. Like, like Dick Cheney style. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but so I was, I've been, I had been terrified, you know, uh, up until I went into treatment, I couldn't even think or say the words like um imagine losing my dad like imagine him dying it scared me so much I thought I wouldn't survive it and when I finally said those words out loud in that therapy session by the way this episode is brought to you by therapy (laughs) (laughs) the reason and uh we're the care.com and care.com um so like saying that in that session that I was, I couldn't even say it. And then like, he basically, he made me say like, if your dad dies, when your dad dies, it will be horrible, but it, you'll survive it. And once yeah. I said those words, like, and was actually believed them, that was a huge shift in me. And like, in like my worry and concern and years of fear about my dad's death. And that's why this, like, it's been part of the struggle with, like, this past year is, like, it is, it has been very upsetting and sad, but at the same time, there's a relief because I was so worried about that that moment Mm -hmm. for so many years and just being terrified of it and not knowing when is it going to happen, when is it going to happen. And he had so many diabetic reactions. Like, when I was at home... He actually admitted this to me that he was like, I don't, I think I don't like check my blood sugar as much when you're here because I know if something happens, like, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because like I called 911 several times, like it was like even like two years ago, it was, he had, he kept having low blood sugar reactions. And like the first time it happened, I called 911 
And then after that, I just give him the emergency glucose shot. Like I knew what to do and I would take his blood sugar and like, like he was passed out like on his bed, like wow. barely conscious because his blood sugar is like 40, which is crazy low. Um, and I was scared every time. Every time something like that happened, I was scared he was going to die. And now that it's finally happened, it's like, this is really upsetting and hard and difficult, but I, I am an adult now and I can handle this and I will survive it and I am surviving it. Like, it's not that terror of like, cause I really think I thought like somewhere inside me, if he died, I would die. Yeah. Like that's how I felt for a long time. Like up until I was like 25 and I had that realization, like, uh, it was, yeah, that was a big big thing i know the the relief of when my mom died because she was sick for so long and how difficult it was all the time taking care of her was just such a huge burden to everybody and um when she died i had so much relief as a part of it but also mixed in with a bunch of other bad feelings and and then a ton of guilt over feeling relief right of course and um yeah i think it's been a and it's like in your head, you know that it's okay to feel that relief. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. She wouldn't begrudge me this, right? But um, it's been a long time of like accepting, of like not judging myself anymore for sure. for being, um, you know, feeling that relief when she died. So yeah, I mean, are you able to 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 feel that relief as a part of it? Yeah, I have. I am, and. I think my brother also has like gone through it's very similar for us like feeling the relief and feeling the guilt for feeling the relief yeah. and then trying to not have like not be too hard on yourself for that and um I mean I think that comes in you know in waves and my best friend actually lost her dad um you know almost like almost 3 years ago now and like going through that, uh, I know it was he was he was very sick and he had dementia, and it was a very traumatic time for her. And like as, as he got more and more sick, and I know that she had some of those. And I kind of like tried to tell her at the time, like, "Hey, like it's okay to feel this," and I know you know how hard it it was to lose him and it's also okay to be be relieved that it you know he's not in pain anymore and he's yeah. not suffering anymore um which is you know it's just a hard thing to grapple with and i mean partly i think it, it also that's where things come up of like remembering the good time like remembering the good and the happy part of them because it's so different if it's such a unique or it's just so different than the sick person. Yeah. Like the sick person and the healthy person are two different people. Yeah. And I'm sure you know better than anybody. Like yeah. that's, they might still be there. They might still be alive, but when there's, there are a certain amount of sick, it's like, it's not them anymore. Like I see pictures of my mom when she was really sick and like, they don't even, it's like I don't even think of her, that person, as my mom in a way. Like she's she's like a shell of who she was. And yeah. One of the saddest things for me is that 
most of my memories of my mom are her sick because mm-hmm. it's just like there was so much of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of drowned it out the uh, of her healthy. And I, I when I dream, of, I dream about her, and she's always sick in my dreams. Really? But yeah, I can't ever. Ha- I've never had a dream of her healthy since wow. she died. I know. I'm like, come on, yeah. brain, like, give me something. She's om- my mom is almost always healthy. Yeah. in my dreams, she's her old self. I don't know why that I do that, but. I mean, it was a long time. She was sick for a long time. Yeah, maybe that's maybe. I think every sorry to interrupt. I I think every time I dream about her, there's always a moment where I go, "Wait, she's alive!" Like it's it's always real, and I go, "Wait, what the fuck? Wait, what?" I'm confused. You know, it's never just like a happy dream. Yeah, and I think some of that like relief and guilt and all of that goes into your dreams because. Like I had several of those after my dad died. I don't, I mean, I still have dreams about my mom and those are a separate thing. But like after my dad died, I kept having dreams where he was alive. And I remember in one of them, I was really mad because I was like, I already let you go. Like yeah. I, I've, I've, I'm processing my grief. How can you still be alive? Like you're supposed to be dead. Yep. And like in those dreams when he's alive, like I look around me and I'm like, you guys seeing this? Like, he's he's alive. Like, didn't he die? And, and no one like, else no, thinks it's weird. No, right? Yeah, every, yep. no one else is is surprised at all. They're like, no, he's he's fine. He's fine. Yep. And I'm like, but we were in the hospital, and like they turned off the machines. Like, you remember it was a funeral, like all this stuff. And they're like, no, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. And uh, I'll share this really quickly. I know we yeah, have please, to wrap please. Up, but uh, one of the dreams I had. I was like going through a list of people I had to tell that he had died because we, you know, we shared it on Facebook and uh, it's just easier in a way to, to having to call every single person or email every single person. But there's people who aren't on Facebook and I was like, oh, I didn't remember to tell this person. Does this person know? And like, I was like, I know I'm forgetting someone. I don't know who. And then I went upstairs and my dad was up there and I realized, I realized that the person I had forgotten to tell was him. And then I was like, oh, God, oh, shit, like, I have to tell. So I was like, hey, Dad, uh, I I don't know if you heard, but you died. And he was <laughs> he was like, what? And I was Whoa. like, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought I emailed you, but <laughs> I guess I didn't. And he was like, when did this happen? And I was like, uh, it happened like a couple weeks ago. You were really, you were really sick, and then you went into a coma, and you died. And he was like, "I guess I, I just, I never saw the email." Like, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. I guess I thought you already knew." <laughs> like, like, wow, it was that's so weird. Not funny, but it's kind of funny. No, but like, <laughs> I, in my mind, like that was when his spirit, like maybe, like let go, yeah, or moved on, or whatever. Um. Yeah. That's that's actually really kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, I had like two big things with that and that was one of them and the other was like I was sitting in a room at our we have a a financial advisor or an accountant who does our taxes and we were meeting with her to talk about it and she left and my brother left the room and I was in there by myself. And this was probably like 4 or 5 days after. And I just I felt his presence so clearly. And I heard him trying to talk to me and I just sat there and I was like, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm still really mad at you. <laughs> and he was like, 
I know. I'm sorry. Um, and one of the things, I won't go into details, but my dad had a secret girlfriend that we didn't find out about until <laughs> until we met her on the day that he died. No way. Yeah. it's uh, It was a whole big thing. Um, but uh, I was mad at him about that. Yeah. Because he never told us. Sure. And he, he had been keeping this secret for years. Why? Um, she was much younger than him. Ah. And I think he was... He knew, like, we wouldn't approve or whatever. Although I like to think I would have been upset at first, but eventually would have accepted it. She was younger than me. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, but, I I mean, it also did make me feel a little happier because I was glad that he wasn't alone. Yeah. Like, all those years when he refused to date and he, I would try to get him to date or anything and he would just not. But it turns out he was. Like, yeah. when I'm glad he wasn't alone, I'm grateful to her that he had someone it seemed like they really did care for each other even though you know i think there was yeah i mean i won't go into it but i was mad at him and like i heard him being like i'm sorry i was gonna tell you and then i'm i asked him i was like well what does mom say and he was like i haven't really talked to her yet Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give her a little time to cool off and I was like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea, Dad. I think you should do that. Like, it was such a weird, like, I heard it so clearly. And it was yep. so, like, it was such a, like, it was such a moment that my dad, yeah, it was just so clearly him. And, like, I also think I felt it when he did find her, yeah. wherever that is. Like, uh, I think she was mad at him, you know. And that was a weird feeling, but it was, it was good. Um, final thing is, uh, I put like songs at the beginning and the end, different songs, uh, hopefully. Um, so do you have, what would, what would be like the, a song that maybe, maybe one that means a lot to your mom and one to your dad that you would want to hear in this? Uh, maybe one that'll make you cry. Maybe not. No. So my dad, my parents both really loved the Bengals and Paul Simon. So great. Any Paul Simon song off of Graceland. Okay. Or uh, Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bengals. That's a fun one to put at the beginning. I'll put that in there. <laughs> yeah. <if laughs> and I'll do wanna, a Paul Simon one at the end. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, yeah, I love, I love that whole album. I'm trying to think of one. That's okay. You don't Maybe have to. Graceland, but. Okay. Or, yeah. I'll be fine. I'll just listen to the whole album. Oh, it's I, a I great album. That. It's an amazing album. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Really? I feel weird. Like why? I feel like we just like dug, we went through a lot of stuff. I don't know, like took a rake and like <laughs> like made like I, I don't know, like a dirt like yeah. in the dirt and just like kept going even as it was getting dirtier and dirtier. Uh-huh. Does that feel like, good? Hopefully. It does in a way, but I can't help it's it's that it's that guilt of like I know I'm bumming you out right now. No, that's the point of this, I think. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's to bum people out. (laughs) Sure, yeah. No, but like, it's good because like you're, it's good to talk to, yeah, this podcast is a really good thing. And it's, I think the best, you know, the people who will appreciate it and and benefit from it the most are other people who have lost their parents. But um, I think it's really good because, you know, it's, 
coming for us all. Like yeah. we're all going to end up there. Everybody's going to lose their parents. I'm having more and more friends who are losing parents now, and it's good to to make this like it's not this. It's terrible, but it's not something we can't talk about. Hundred like, percent. Yeah. This isn't. It needs to be more normalized because it is normal and like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. All thank this you stuff. so much for having me. Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Poor boys and pilgrims with families, and we are going to Graceland. My traveling companion is nine years old He's the child of my first marriage But I praise on to believe We both will be received in Graceland She comes back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair from her forehead. She said.